Amen. Open your Bible, please, to Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10. What a joy it is to fill in for your pastor, Brother Ingram, and to be entrusted with his pulpit and his people. Can't tell you how humbled I am, and I just hope and pray I don't say anything stupid in this entire month. It just happens every now and then, and could I just encourage you that are more spiritual than me, hear what the Spirit has to say to the church. I, I, I have practiced, and I've practiced, and I've practiced not to say stupid things. But since I've been a kid, I have done that. I was out to eat and somebody asked me, hey, cool mustache. How do you make that thing curl? I've heard that question a hundred million times. And after a while, you just wanna say, it's none of your business. <laughs> but being the congenial guy that I am, I said, well, my wife, she gives me this good juicy kiss in the morning, curls that baby up. It's good for the day. He looked at me and he said, wow. Could you have her come kiss me? <laughs> uh, that's probably not the smartest thing I've ever said. So I, I'm not going to say that, okay? But Hopefully, you'll hear what the Spirit has to say, and I'm thankful that I can stand before you and preach, thus saith the Lord. We are living in changing times, but times have always been changing. It never stands still. It is constantly changing. People that notice it the most are generally older people. We've seen it change. We're comparing this point in time with years that we have lived through. Young people look at us old people as being grouchy, negative. What's the big deal? They have no ability to understand why we would compare today with yesterday. They were born in changing times. And we as adults sometimes, and senior adults at times, we get frustrated that things are changing. But can I encourage you today? We have an unchanging God. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And if we'll keep our eyes on Him, it will balance things out. You won't get near as frustrated with the world. You won't get near as frustrated with your own self. Keep your eyes fixed on the Lord Jesus looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. The songwriter said, turn your eyes upon Jesus and the things of earth will grow strangely dim. We are in a spiritual warfare. The battle is not with the opposite political party. The opposite is not even with different foreigners. The opponent is not the kings of this world. We are in a spiritual battle. And Satan hates this country as much as he hates every country. But America particularly because we still enjoy freedom to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. 
And we somehow think that America's great because we are great. If America has ever been great, it's because God blessed America. And if we are going to see God bless America, it won't be dependent on the White House, but the church house. Judgment must begin at the house of the Lord. When God's people humble themselves and pray and seek his face and turn from their wicked ways, then, circle that word then, he will heal our land. Righteousness exalts any nation and sin is a reproach to any people. God help us to sober up, to see that we are in a spiritual warfare and the eternal destiny of millions lie in the obedience of God's people. We're living in changing times. They're rewriting American history. They're redefining words. Words like marriage. It's not a religious position that we are holding. There is a definitive description of marriage that has always been known as a fact. But it's been changed. They are redefining gender. That is a biological fact. It takes very few seconds to figure out which gender you are. But our enemy is trying to cause division, to cause confusion with the intent to defeat and kill and destroy. It's actually happened in the church. It's happened in the Christian world. We are hearing words like grace being redefined. That's pretty important, folks. If we're saved by grace, we better understand what grace means. They are redefining the word church. They tried to stop the church, ban church, dilute the church. Now they're redefining it. And today, people think nothing of virtual church. Could I arrest your attention for a moment? Virtual means it's not real. Do you understand that? And today, and really in the next couple of weeks, I want to teach and preach a little bit on the church. And today, I'm going to make it personal. I mean, I'm preaching. I can do what I want to do. I'm going to preach why I love this church. And we're going to read from Hebrews chapter 10. And we're going to look at three verses of Scripture for our thoughts today. If you're able, would you please stand with me for the reading of the Word this morning? Verse number 23 
The writer says, let us hold fast. The words hold fast mean to keep secure, to keep firm possession of. Hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering. For he is faithful that promised. Do you catch that? You aren't risking anything trusting God. You can trust him. He's the one that has promised you eternal life. He's the one that has promised to save you from your sins. He's the one that promised that he would go with you even to the uttermost part of the earth. He is trustworthy. He's faithful when you're not. And let us consider one another to provoke each other unto wrath. No, we like to do that. This would be a good marriage verse right here. And let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works. You know what he's saying? Bring out the best in others. When you bring out the worst in others, you might feel good about yourself, you might feel superior, but you in essence are a tool of the devil. And both of you are displeasing God. Provoke unto love and to good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another and so much the more as ye see the day approaching. I want to draw your attention to the first seven words of verse 25, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together. Father, I'm going to do the best I can to teach and preach your word this morning. I'd like to think that the soil in front of me is good soil, fertile soil, soil that will receive the seed, the word of God today, and let it germinate and bring forth fruit in the days and weeks ahead. And Father, for that man or woman that's here today without confidence of their eternal destiny, not certain that if they were to die tonight that they would go to heaven, I pray even now that your sweet Holy Spirit would open their eyes to where they could see and clearly understand the gospel and be saved today. And if not today, certainly before it's eternally too late. And I pray for the redeemed. Not only would we say so, but we would walk worthy of the vocation wherewith we are called. Help us, Father, to leave revived and refreshed from your word today. We thank you for it. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. You may be seated. Prior to COVID-19 impacting the attendances of our churches... They said that over 110 million go to church every week. Now let me help you understand what that number reflects. Consider all the people that have gone to a professional basketball game or to a football game, to a baseball game, to a tennis match, any sporting event over an entire year, 
the fans that attend the sporting events collectively in an entire year are not as many as those that go to church in one week. And yet they try to make church as something that's not important in America. People in America, because of the foundation of this country, knew the Word of God, knew the importance of the church. And the church is vitally important. And yet most of those people that attend church don't even know why they go to church today. And it can happen even in our own churches, particularly with young people. You're going because I told you you're going to church. Many young people give testimony. I had a drug problem when I was a kid. I was drugged to church every week. Well, if that's the only drug problem they have, that's actually a good one to have, amen? Some attend church because of tradition. Some because of guilt or habit. Some go for personal gain. Single people are looking for someone to date. Business people are looking for potential customers. Some are looking for a job, hoping the network of friends in church will enable them to find a job. Some are just lonely and seeking friends. I want to draw your attention from the scripture why it is so good to belong to this church. God gives us some reasons, and let me give you a couple of them today. Number one, you need a church family because it helps saints live a life of obedience. Could I park the car for a moment? You're either a saint or you ain't. That may not be good English, but it's proper theology. You're either on your way to heaven or you're on your way to hell. I'm not raising my voice so as to be misinterpreted that I'm angry or condemning or looking down on anyone. Here's the facts. We're all born sinners. All of us. There isn't anyone in here that can say, I have not sinned. You can't say that. We've all sinned. God says there is none righteous. No, not one. You know what he's saying? Nobody does right. No, not even you. Because we're all experts at examining one another, are we not? We can look at someone else and point out their faults and their mistakes and their sin and they're really bad and this one's really bad. They're beyond hope. I'm not so bad. And we tend to give ourselves a pass or certainly an explanation of why we do what we do. God says there is none righteous. No, not one. And because of our sin, none of us are capable of ever spending eternity in heaven. Think of it for a moment. Heaven wouldn't be heaven if God allowed one sin in heaven. Adam and Eve had it made in the shade, did they not? But one sin. And look where we are today. If God allowed just me and my wife into heaven, and quite frankly, we're probably 
two of the most perfect people in this room. I can't tell you how many times I have left church and driven down the road and not knowing what to say and trying to remain positive. And I tell Lori, I think we are the only two normal people in this church. And quite frankly, I'm suspect of one of them. But if God allowed Lori and I in as we are, we would mess up heaven. Why? Sin is never content with just one. It reproduces. That's why God sent his only begotten son, Jesus Christ, who knew no sin. He died with your sin. He died for your sin. He who knew no sin became sin for us. That we might be made righteousness in him. And if you're here today and you don't have confidence of your eternal destiny, don't misunderstand the preacher this morning. I would never talk down to you. But for the grace of God, I'd be in hell today. God is extending his grace to you. He wants to save you today. You say, a God of love would never send me to hell. You don't understand what you're saying. A God of love would never force you to choose against your own will. God is a complete gentleman. He's not a bully. He died for your sins. He was buried. He resurrected from the grave. How could he do that? He was God. No man took his life. He laid it down of himself willingly. And because he had the power to lay it down, he had the power to take it back. He is the resurrection and the life. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. That's why we praise Jesus. We're not egotistical, arrogant people to think that we've got the only way. He is the only way. We're just blessed to know him as our Lord and Savior. And if you don't know him today and you leave this place and go out into eternity and split hell wide open, you'll never point a finger at God and say, I didn't know. Jesus loves you now. And he wants to save you right here, right now. Now, to those of us that are saved, we become new in Christ Jesus. Not everyone that says they're saved is saved. But those that are saved, because we're new inside, we have a new nature, we have a desire to please our Heavenly Father. Therefore, if any man be in Christ... He's a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. There's a constant change going on in our life. I'm not sinless today, but I want to thank God I sinned less than I did a decade ago. I'm not the man I ought to be, but I thank God I'm not the man I was 30 years ago. Are you with me? I'm growing in the Lord Jesus Christ. And God says all things work together. Sometimes they're bad, but God allows things to come into our life to shape us, to conform us 
into the image of His dear Son. He is working in me. He that began a good work, He's going to continue working in me until I spend eternity with Him. I want to encourage the saints of God today to realize we are His people to bring honor and glory to Him. The church, by definition, means a visible, local, called-out assembly of people for a specific purpose. I mean, the word church could be used for those that follow the Atlanta Braves. Now, please forgive me if some of my sarcasm slips out from time to time. I'm not an Atlanta Braves fan. I'm a Cleveland Indians fan. I'm from Cleveland, Ohio. And some of you are already snickering under your breath saying, you're not even the Indians anymore. You're the Guardians. What's that all about? I don't know what that's all about. But all I can say is, go tribe. I'm an Indians fan. Hallelujah. When they assemble on Sunday, that's what a church is. It's a called out visible assembly of people for a specific purpose. When Jesus was here, he said, I'm going to build my church, my called out assembly. It's going to be visible. They're going to unite together for a purpose. And that purpose is to preach the gospel, the good news, letting sinners know you don't have to die in your sin. You can be saved from your sin and spend eternity in heaven with him. The Lord's church, his assembly, is a local, visible, called out assembly of believers. And that's why our church is geared to bless believers' hearts. It's designed for God's kids, not the devil's. Matthew says, I will build my church, Matthew 16, 18. We're in existence to reach the devil's kids. But we're not the devil's kids if we're saved. We belong to God. And that's why the church doesn't try to look like the world. That's why we don't sing worldly music. That's why we don't have worldly activities. Why would we want to have a worldly place for those that want to leave the world? The church is for believers. Now, we're going to invite unbelievers to come, and they may not like our music, it's too slow. They may not like our doctrine, it's too narrow. But they're going to leave this place saying, wow, there's something about those people. Even though I don't believe like them, even though I don't appreciate the music and the things that they like, they love me. They really care about me. They're interested in me. And an unbeliever will feel desire to be here because all of us want to be loved. Though we differ doctrinally, though we differ in our lifestyle, an unbeliever will be attracted to the love of God. 
We don't have to dilute the gospel. We don't have to change our music to blend in with the world. No, this is a called out assembly of believers. And we're going to have music. We're going to have activities that will edify our faith, that will exhort us to live righteously and live godly before our heavenly father. The church helps Christians live a life of obedience to God. That's why we got baptized. I didn't understand everything about baptism. The Bible said, those that got saved got baptized. I got baptized. Why? I'm just going to obey God. And today you have people that say they're saved but refuse to get baptized. I don't want to join an organized religion. You know what that tells me? They haven't read their Bible. They stop too quickly. An unbaptized believer is a contradiction of terms. Do you understand everyone that got saved in the New Testament got baptized? Everyone. An unbaptized believer is, a, is an oxymoron. It's a, it, it's a contradiction of terms. When a man gets saved and genuinely converted, his life isn't about him anymore. We don't belong to us. We belong to him. If he says, paint your hair green, well, I'll paint it green what little I have left. <laughs> but God said, get baptized. All right, I'll get baptized. Now, it's good to understand why we're baptized, but it doesn't take a whole lot to figure it out. We are doing teaching when we baptize. Are you saved? Yes. Upon your profession of faith, I baptize thee in the name of the Father, Son, Holy Ghost. Bearing the likeness of his death, raised in the likeness of his resurrection. It's a picture. It's a public confession. I am a follower of Jesus Christ. And I'm not ashamed of him. A Christian wants to obey. I don't know why people... It's like the cemetery raising the price of burials. And blaming it on the cost of living. It just doesn't make sense. <laughs> God wants us to obey. And God wants you to be a part of this church or a local New Testament church to help you obey the Lord. How many would agree with me? It's a lot easier to obey God in church than it is at work. How many would agree it's a lot easier to obey God in church than it is in school? And you miss church week after week after week? Don't look at me like you're Superman. Not that you couldn't, but most will fall and be weak and fail. And if Peter, who is one of the Lord's closest friends, can deny the Lord, I venture a guess that there are people in this room that distance themselves from God and before long deny the very Lord that they do love and that they're following from afar. God wants you to obey him. If ye love me, keep my commandments. Jesus said in John 15, you obey me, you'll abide in my love. You want to feel God's love? 
obey him. Amen. Keep his commands. Keep his word. When he tells you you should be in church, be in church. Well, I don't feel like it. There's days I don't feel like it. But we go, why? To obey him. What is obedience? Obedience is to do exactly what you're told to do. The instant you're told to do it with the right heart attitude. Would you mind reciting that with me, please? So that you can leave here remembering something. Obedience is to do exactly what you're told to do. The instant you're told to do it with the right heart attitude. Would you say it a little louder? Obedience is to do exactly what you're told to do. The instant you're told to do it with the right heart attitude. You're starting to get it. Say it with me again with a little more passion. Obedience is to do exactly what you're told to do. The instant you're told to do it with the right heart attitude. And those of you parents, you understand your child can obey you, but if they don't do exactly what you tell them to do, it's not really obedience, is it? They could get around to it in three or four hours and they get it done, but it's not obedience because they didn't do it when you told them to do it. They can sometimes go through the motions and do what you tell them to do, mumbling and grumbling and complaining and, and even condemning you for asking them. That's really not obedience. Because you know and I know that obedience is what? to do exactly what you're told to do the instant you're told to do it with the right heart attitude. And Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commandments. And church will help us to live a life of obedience to the Lord. Let me give you a second reason why I love church. You need a church family to help you center your life around God through worship. We heard that taught even in our music program this morning. The simplest way to define and describe worship is building your life around God. Centering your life around God. God didn't put you here on this earth to live a self-centered life. He, he didn't put you here for your benefit. He put you here for his benefit. You exist for God. God doesn't exist for you. Now, before you run with that, some are going to think, wow, that's an arrogant God. No, you're judging God by you. God is love. God is good. And the closer you are to God, the better it is for you. God created you to have a relationship with you. And that relationship is only going to make life good for you. Jesus said, I have come to give you life and life more abundantly. God wants to be the hub of your heart, the axis of your existence, the core of your being, the focus of your attention. He wants to be the center of your life. 
And the Bible calls that worship. Anytime God is the center of your life, you are worshiping God. Many people say they're worshiping God, say they adore God. How do I know if that I really do worship God? Well, it's simple. We stop worrying. Worry is a symptom. It's the warning light that God is not the center of your life. You will always be worshiping God or worrying yourself. Worry comes from fear. And every Bible student knows that fear and faith cannot occupy the same heart at the same time. It's one or the other. When we are governed by fear, we're not walking by faith. Philippians says, be careful for nothing. Don't worry about anything. But take everything to the Lord. Trust the Lord. If you worship your life, you'll be afraid of dying. I don't want to die by COVID, by gunshot, heart attack. I don't want to die. I like what Dr. Art Wilson used to say. He was 853 years old when he visited our church. And he got up before us and he said, you know, the next big event on my life's calendar is death. Oh, great. That's a great way to start a sermon. I'm thinking, well, you are ancient. I didn't think of it that way, but okay, I get it. He said, and you know, I've come to grips with death. And I've talked to God about this, and I'm okay with, uh, okay with how he might take me. I mean, if he wants to take me out with a, with a heart attack, I'm good with that. If he wants to have me uh, have a prolonged uh, death, maybe with a disease that just takes my body and whittles it down. I'm okay with how I die. He said, quite frankly, I've, I've accepted the when. You know, when, when God takes me. If he takes me today, I'm okay with it. If he gives me another 10 years, I'm okay with it. And I'm thinking, yeah, when you're 893 years old, you can say that. I'm not sure I'm ready to say that just now. And so he goes on, he said, but you know, I have, a, I have an interest on where I'm going to die. And I've asked God if he could tell me where I was going to die. Because if he told me where I was going to die, I wouldn't drive within 100 miles of that place. <laughs> Death is our enemy, is it not? Of course it's our enemy. And we sorrow when we lose our loved ones. Not like those without hope, but we still sorrow. Why? Death is our enemy. And that's why none of us want to die. I, I've got cancer. Pray for me. Why? I want to live. But if God takes me, guess what? I'm going to heaven. You walk by my casket this week, you see Brother Humbert laying there in the casket. And by the way, my mustache isn't going to look this good in the casket, I'll tell you that. 
No mortician's going to mess with the Holy Grail here, I'm telling you. It's just going to be El Natural. It's going to be Pastor Walrus in the box there. And you walk by that casket and you'll say, well, there's Brother Humbert. Oh, no, no, no. That's just the shell. The nut has gone on ahead. Hallelujah. I don't want to die, but I don't fear dying. That's not just preaching. When I was 49 years old, I had open heart surgery. Not once was I fearful of it. It's not that I'm courageous, but I drew nigh to God, and he drew nigh to me. I was having symptoms for months in advance. I didn't even share it with my church. I went and saw the doctor. I didn't want him to come to church focusing on Bruce Humbert and his health. I wanted them to come to church to hear what the man of God has to say about God. I didn't use the church for my benefit, for my crutch. I wanted them to see God. On the day that I agreed with the surgeon to have open heart surgery, Friday morning, I, Saturday morning, I called my daughter who was the secretary of the church. I said, Rachel, I'm going to tell you something that might startle you, but don't, you don't need to be worried. Everything's good. But I'm going to have open heart surgery in about two hours. And I need you to call the church deacons and ask them to pray for me. That if it's God's will, that he would spare my life. And I'm ready to go or to stay. I'll never forget. Okay, Dad. I love you. Not a moment of fear. You know why? I belong to him. For me to live is Christ. I'm retired, don't you know? I preached more during COVID year than I ever preached in my home church. We were booked 52 weeks last year in 60 different meetings and again this year. And I'm not a very good preacher. For me to live is Christ. But if I die... I die, and it's gain. Where are the Job's in our churches? Though he slay me, yet will I trust in him. Where are the Esther's in our church? If I die, I die. Where are the three Hebrew children in our churches? My God is able to deliver me. But if he doesn't, we're still not bowing the knee to you, O king. We don't even have to pray about it. We already know God's will. I'm saying when God is the center of your life, it removes fear. There is nothing to fear. If God is for us, who can be against us? I'm persuaded, are you, that neither death nor life, 
Nothing shall be able to separate us from the love of Christ. Is that just head knowledge or does that grip your heart and soul? Do you walk through life knowing that God is in control of your life, my life? We belong to him. And I'm thankful to be in church today. I'm thankful that we're allowed to have a country where we can assemble ourselves together. But even if it wasn't at liberty to worship, I'd find a way to get with other believers. You say, would you? They do all over the world. They can document 17 people every day of the calendar year die, not with cancer, not with COVID, not with cardiac arrest, die for their testimony of Jesus Christ. That's what they can document. They guesstimate over 100 people die every day because of their testimony for Jesus Christ. And they look at Christianity in America as a Disneyland Christianity, a pseudo-Christianity, because we don't suffer or sacrifice for Christ for anything. It's a convenient religion. It's a fire insurance policy from hell. I want to encourage the saints at Canaan Baptist Church, you are not foolish assembling yourselves together. You are obedient children of God with a desire to worship Him. And the church helps us keep God in the center of our life. Jesus said, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy mind. This is the first and great commandment. The first and the greatest is to know God And to love God, that's what God created you for. To know him and have a relationship with him. So when we talk about worship, what does that mean? God is a spirit, John 4, 24. Jesus said, they that worship him must worship him in spirit and truth. What he is saying there, we must worship authentically and accurately. Authentically in spirit, that means I just don't give lip service to God. I don't just say, I love you, God. But you you dwell on him throughout the day. I'm an Ohio State Buckeye fan. I know that bothers you, Georgia Bulldogs. And there's actually people in this room that don't even like sports. And I'm wondering, can they truly be saved? I mean, God has given us the extra spiritual people's network. Crying out loud, that's a sign from heaven that ESPN is, that sports are good for you. But when I see someone from Ohio State got a big O on their hat, I'll walk by the guy. I don't even know him. And I'll say, O-H. You know what he's going to say? I-O. You know what we're saying? I like you. I like you too. You're cool. I know. You're cool too. I know. And some of you are saying, you're just proud that you can spell spell your state. Well, kind of that too. We're spelling big champs. (laughs) No, if you love Ohio State, I mean, you think about Ohio State all year round, not just in the fall season when college football is on television. I mean, it's all year round. Hey, 
those of us that worship God, it's 24-7. It's not just Sunday morning. It's not just Sunday night. It's 24-7. We, we love Him. That's why we have no problem talking about Him. That's why we have no problem giving unto Him. You can't worship, you can't worship without giving. When we worship, we always give. God says, don't make me into your image. I want to make you into mine. Why? He wants, to, he wants your worship to be authentic. He wants it to be in truth. Today, too many churches are trying to make worship services for the people. I just love how, I, how we worship. The question ought to be, does God love how you worship. Does that make sense? God's the center of our church. Do you think he gets all hepped up when we have a bunch of loud blaring music that causes people to want to get up and dance? And Do you think that's something God really enjoys? Come on, I'm just appealing to your mind to think a bit. The worship service isn't about you, but Him. What makes Him the center of our life? What matters is what God wants. The Bible says the Father seeketh such to worship Him. God is looking for people out there that really want Him. That will allow God to change you to be like Him rather than you trying to change God to be like you. You know what that's called? Idol worship. Making idols. Acts chapter 2, the church daily in the temple in every place were absorbing God's Word. Daily they were lives, they built their lives around God. Why? They worshipped God. And that's why the church is so good to belong to. It helps us to live a life of obedience to God. And it helps me center my life around God in true worship. That's why it's so good to belong to Canaan Baptist Church. Because it helps me to live a life of obedience to God. And I want to live a life of obedience to God. And it also helps me to center my life around true worship. Let me ask you a question today. If every member in the church were like you, what kind of a church would we have? If everyone in the church witnessed like you witnessed this week, how many souls would we see saved? Hard to claim to be a follower of Christ if you're not witnessing. True? Jesus said, Follow me. Yes. Amen. 
and I will make you fishers of men. I didn't say that. He did. So if we're not fishing, we're not following. You don't hear that on TV. You hear that in church. And even though it's not always pleasant to hear, if we're saved, we want that. Because we want to be obedient to Him. If everybody read their Bible like you read your Bible, what a blessing to pray with a man this morning that's reading his Bible through in 90 days. That's a lot. Of, I said, you don't get to watch much TV. He laughed. No. But most Christians will spend more time watching TV than they read the Bible. I'm just asking a legitimate question. If every member in the church were like you, what kind of a membership would you have? Did we pray for an hour? They say most Christians don't pray for an hour in an entire week. I, I hope that's not true here. Because really that's where we get the power of God to be obedient. If you try living for God in your own strength, good luck, pal. It just ain't going to happen, Captain. You may have enough discipline to get through a while, but you're going to find out you're going to get weary in well-doing. And God said, be not weary. He didn't suggest that. Be not weary. It's a command. So when we get weary in well-doing, we're trying to serve God in the energy of the flesh. We need His power, His grace. I'm just asking you today, is there any room for improvement as a church member? in your life. If so, then let's improve a little. You don't have to go from A to Z, but most of you could go to A, B, C. Let's don't coast. Let's sober up and realize it's good to belong to a church. And could I ask... Those of you that are here and you're not certain that if you were to die tonight that you'd go to heaven, could I ask you a personal question? Why would you want to leave today without that confidence? What's in it for you to risk all eternity without God? If I'd ask you, do you want to go to hell? Most people would just say, no, I don't want to go to hell. Some will tease and say, yeah, I'm going to hell. It's where all my buddies are. But if you, you press the issue, none of us want to suffer. None of us want to be in hell. Don't wait another day. God wants to save you right here, right now. I'm asking the saints of Canaan Baptist Church. We've taken time to bow and worship. Now I'm asking you to come and pray and ask God 
to send a revival to Canaan Baptist Church. And if not here, maybe a church down the road or even in the state, but we all agree we need revival in this country. We need revival in the world. And it will begin with God's people. And I ask you, will you not make that a request today? Let's stand to our feet and heads bowed and eyes closed. Before I offer a closing prayer, if you're saved today and you're not ashamed of Jesus Christ as your Savior, would you slip up your hand as a testimony? Yes, I know Christ is my Savior. I'm not bragging. I'm just so thankful that he saved me. God bless you. Not every hand went up in the room. Some of you have been paying attention. And you're thinking that somebody told me you were here today, but I don't know. I'm a visitor like some of you are. But God knows you. You're not here by accident. He loves you. Is there some here today and you'd say, preacher man, I don't know that I'd go to heaven, but I'd like to know. I don't know a lot about the Bible, but I do believe there's a God and I want to get to know him and I want I want him to become the Lord of my life. I want him to save me. Pray for me that I'll get saved before I die. Could I just pray for you? Would you slip up your hand unashamedly? God's speaking to me. I'm not joking around. God bless you. God bless you. Anybody else? I'm not playing games. I just, I just need prayer. Anybody else? Three. Anybody else? You room this size and only two of you want to know God better, get saved. Now, Father, we've done the best we can. And I pray that you bless your word today. May it bring forth fruit. Especially there's at least two that want to know you. They're not certain that if they were to die tonight, they'd go to heaven. God, I pray that you'd give them grace, your strength, your power to believe and trust you. And without shame, but would come to the altar of prayer and trust Jesus Christ as Savior today. And for this dear church, oh God, I pray that we would never forget why it's so good to be a part of this church. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.